<laughs> Welcome to Bloom Living. I am your host, Thomas DeShooter, former rock musician turned financial strategist, sharing amazing ideas from amazing people looking to up the game of life whenever we can. Welcome to today's show, Bloom Living Podcast, Season 3. I am your host, Thomas DeShooter. And first of all, huge shout out to all of you fantastic people out there that are sharing the show, that are giving us some love in social media. Uh, for those of you that have gone to iTunes and, and uh, rated the show and given us a thumbs up, love your comments and uh, keep them coming. It really gives us uh, the opportunity to see what people like and to know that uh, we have listeners out there that are enjoying the content. And any suggestions you have, by all means, go to media at bloomstrategies.com. Send us along some thoughts, some things that maybe you'd like to see on the show, and we'll see if we can make that happen. Uh, excited. Today's show, we have a special guest. His name is uh, Brian Boroff, and he is known as the natural born entrepreneur. And so I'm super excited to get into a conversation with him about building a business, about uh, creative ideas about understanding how to keep pushing yourself forward. Uh, just everything around being an entrepreneur, being a business owner, and what that looks like. And uh, he seems to have a lot of experience. So I'm really looking forward to having a conversation around that. But before we dive into any of that stuff, uh, here's where I'm at today. So this past weekend, I had a huge opportunity to just share uh, a couple of talks with some people. And uh, I'll tell you, the talks ended up centering around two main themes. Uh, and if you, if you consider it, it's really one combined, and that's faith and love. And uh, as I think of just being a business owner, and as I think of doing a show like this and having guests on, I can really bring that to everything I do. Faith and love, let's just look at it as a business owner. You know, it's, as an entrepreneur, faith in yourself, faith that what you're doing is going to strike a chord in the world, that what you're doing is going to add value to the world is a huge piece in moving forward. And it always starts with yourself. You know, as a business owner, I see that. But even when I think back to being a musician, when I even think back to doing this show, the starting of this show, it's really having faith in myself first and understanding like this is something I want to do and I believe that I can do this and I can believe, you know, I believe that I can do a good job and I believe that somebody out there will listen and I know that that is the case now. It's been reaffirmed. However, it really started off with that faith first, that faith in myself first to move forward in all of those things. And even as a business owner, it's that faith First, believing in yourself that you can do this is critical. And then the big piece for me, and you know, I'm sure there's some people that are successful without bringing this in, but for me, the big piece is love. Is where can I bring love to everything I do? Where can I, you know, if if I'm not willing to do this show and love what I'm doing, and you know, can I pour over the strategies here, or can I can I pour over the content, or can I create something that I really care about and that I love doing? you know, I, I don't think it would last. I don't think I would want to do this very long. And it goes the same in business. It's the same in my personal life. The things that I do, I want to love doing them and I want to have a love for them as well. Uh, and on that note, you know, it really, again, it really begins with me. 
is how much love can I even show myself? How much love can I have for myself and honor myself when I need time, honor myself when I need uh, to have reflection, when, I, when I'm looking for you know, somebody to, to uh, help me or assist me moving forward. You know, I jumped on a call yesterday uh, with a gal named Martha Creek, who I've decided to do some coaching with. And, you know, inside of the better part of 20 minutes, uh, we dialed in on some, some stuff for me that was coming up. And it, all of that was around, you know, faith in myself and belief in myself. And, uh, and she was so, it was like a knife through butter, if you will. She was able to just slice right through the noise of what was going on within me and come up with some ideas that really helped me see the truth, the wholeness, if you will. It's like, am I, you know, am I crazy for how I think? Of course I'm crazy. For other people, I'm going to look crazy and that's fine. It's okay. Uh, so just, you know, having, I guess, the grace to accept myself for all of the good things that I do and all of the not so good things that I do. and and being uh, understanding around that and to say, I am okay with not being the best at something or I am okay with being really good at what I do. It's, it's, the, it's the both sides of the coin that I'm really starting to understand are critical. It's, it's, I can't just gloss over everything and put you know, a, ro a rose garden over a mud pie. I have to deal with the mud pie. That's just the way it is. And then when I do that, it's amazing the quality of the roses that come up, if you will. And so I guess in summary, just in reflection of the, the two talks I gave over the weekend, it really, it really did sink home. I, you know, as you speak things into the world and as you share what is on your mind, it's amazing how you can begin to really key in on your own key message, on what really is resonating for yourself, the things that you really want to believe and, uh, and move forward with your life. And so, uh, you know, faith and love over the weekend actually became a true grounding at a deeper level than ever before for me. And, uh, and I'm happy to share that with you here today. And I'd love to hear, you know, how that resonates for you. Share some thoughts. Uh, again, you know, this, uh, this is on Facebook. Uh, it's on YouTube. It's very easy to, to send us comments. And I'd love to know how you feel about faith and love and where does that show up in your life or where is it stopped? Where is it not working in your life? And, uh, you know, as I shared on the weekend, it's that if we can just take a moment and if we can just take a moment and pause in any type of uh, disappointment we're having or any type of challenge that we're having, you know, if we can just pause for a moment and take a breath and honor ourselves and understand that everything we want for ourselves and for our lives is within us, if we're willing to take a pause and have a look, you know, almost everything. I've ever done in my life. I've known the answer. Sometimes though, I just don't want to use the answer and I want to try to work my way around it. And then I end up coming back to 
likely what that first feeling or that first instinct was. And that's perfect because sometimes you need to, you need to go around the block. You need to see what's in the neighborhood. You need to have an understanding of where you are and why you might do something so that when you do get there, when you do get to the truth of the matter, you're really empowered with it. And so I just invite you to, uh, to take a pause every now and again when, you're, when maybe you're not firing on all, cinder, all cylinders, just take a breath and understand that it is within you, that you have the strength, you have the power, you have the insight, you have the intuitive uh, intelligence to know what is best for you. And then faith and love will have you take that step. And sometimes that's the hardest part is truly following what you believe is the right thing for you to do. So I'm really excited to welcome today's guest, uh, Brian Boroff. Is, I love this. He's dubbed a natural born entrepreneur by the Daily Telegraph. Brian Boroff founded AdPhone in 2015. Thanks to his 20 plus years of industry experience and a proven track record in the IT, marketing, and telecom sectors, he grew AdPhone from concept to VC-backed. He's best known for his success in having founded and managed a UK-based multinational software as a service provider to tier one wireless carriers. Uh, Boroff has also been featured in the UK journals, including The Guardian, The Mirror, Mobile Today, and the Sunday Times. He is an author and subject matter expert in the fields of customer retention and acquisition technologies, competitive intelligence, wireless telecom, and entrepreneurship. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Yeah, how are you? How, how's it going? I think you're down in Florida. Is that what you said? We're, we're in South Florida, yes. And right now, there's no sun outside, but you know what? It's okay. We're used to it. <laughs> All right. So I set, uh, I set up, you know, I kind of set the stage with, uh, I love the line, you are dubbed a natural born entrepreneur. And so what I'd love to start with maybe is just, you know, kind of share like, what is it do you think that's with that has you just want to do that? Because it's not easy. It's not easy to step out into the world and say, I've got this idea and I think it's going to be fantastic and move forward with it. So where do you think that comes from? Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting question. So I think uh, a lot of it, frankly, is, is upbringing, and it starts at a, at a very young age. Um, it, it might sound kind of, you know, cliche, but at a, at a, at a very, very young age, I, I was actually born and raised in, in New York, in Manhattan, until 11 years old. And I can remember that at around nine or 10 years old, my parents would let me outside and I would put a a blanket in front of the building uh, in the in the street there, and I would be selling different comic books and things that I could get my hands on and and trading and uh, and and it really started at, at you know that young and uh, you know and then my parents they 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 instilled a real sense of value uh, again at a young age. My my first actual job was was uh, working at Publix bagging groceries when I was 13 or 14 years old, and it's so that I could learn how to you know make money myself. Um, and so really appreciating the value of money and then, you know, the reinforcement that comes from, you know, those around you that, you know, at a young age, in your formative years that they believe in you and that you can keep going. And every time you get knocked down, you get back up and, and, uh, you just, I don't know, you develop thick skin after a while. And it's very, that's a necessary ingredient to, to be able to succeed as an entrepreneur. 
Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so let's, uh, maybe let's, I'd love to know, like the getting knocked down, like what, what is it, what do you tell yourself when, like, do you have a mantra that, that keeps you going when, when you're faced with the adversity or do you, is there just something that just, you just kind of tuck it all away and move forward? I'm curious what that looks like. So I, I guess there's different ways you can handle it. You can get knocked down and let it, you know, let it destroy you or let it, let it keep you down. You can get knocked down and then have the strength to actually get back up. Or what I do, which is kind of crazy in a way, is you can enjoy getting knocked down, (laughs) which is is all the way the opposite end of the spectrum. And every time you get knocked down, it's a big smile on my face thinking, you know what? I'm going to show him or her, whoever it is, and it's just going to make me stronger. And, you know, I I think you're still okay in the middle zone, but if you can get in that far extreme zone of, of actually enjoying the process of getting knocked down and getting back up, you can, you can really be successful. Great. So is there uh, would you say that in those moments, uh, and cause I, I know for myself how this looks, but would you say in those moments, there's the opportunity to learn, to grow, to, to reflect and go, okay, this is why. And now I'm going to use that as energy. Yeah. And, and you know what? It, it's not just that you talk about learning and growing and, and when it comes to leadership, and I guess leadership is an important part of being an entrepreneur I mean, if you see yourself growing a company that's going to involve investors, advisors, staff, things like this, leadership is, is, is very important. So one of the thing when you talk about learning is you, you, I, I've found that it's important to be, uh, I guess, self-critical in a way, to be open to input from others and guidance from others and to surround yourself with people that you can learn from. And as a leader, if you're humble and you're able to uh, embrace change and embrace the input of others and say, actually, that's not my strength and I'm going to grow from that then actually you can really develop and blossom. That's one of the things that I've found, and I'm always constantly open to criticism, advice, input. Um, you'll hear the word coachable a lot. Uh, VCs love, you know, and investors love entrepreneurs that they feel they can coach. And it shouldn't be something that you fake. It should be something that genuinely nobody knows everything and you're willing to learn and grow. And people want to back those types of entrepreneurs. Right. And that's, uh, you know, that's great advice. And I think that's a great segue because, you know, one of the things that I know you've experienced is working in the VC realm and I've never had that experience. So, you know, what I love about doing this show uh, is it's somewhat selfish is I get to ask questions and I get to learn from people like yourself. So stepping into the VC arena, what are some takeaways that uh, somebody would want to do uh, coachable, obviously, and and some some. What are some takeaways that maybe somebody wouldn't want to do in stepping that arena? Um, well, the, the first thing I would talk about is timing, right? Like when when is the right time to to sort of look at VC funding and look at VCs? I I think you know VCs are it's a, it's a double edged sword. So a, a sort of classical VC, um, they're managing other people's money. As a result of that, they have to report to those investors and they can afford to take a hard line and be ruthless and and black and white about their investment. And you just have to accept that, right? It's different to an angel investor who's making a personal relationship and it's their money and they can be a little bit more flexible. But the flip side of that is the VC is there to drive an exit because they're there to make money. They're there to drive an exit. And as a result of that, again, if you're willing to embrace change and grow, and as long as you're performing as an entrepreneur, then the VC, if your goal ultimately is to get the, you know, grow the business and as, as quickly and as large as possible and then exit, the VC can add a lot of value. Now, that being said, when is the, when is the right timing for it? So, you know, if it's possible, if it's possible in the beginning, when you come up with an idea and whatever that idea might be for a business, first thing is to say, 
you know, what, what can I afford myself to put into this, whether it's cash or time, into my idea to really back it and to sort of nurture it in, in the beginning as a seed or a pre-seed, if you want to use that concept. Get that as far as you can, and maybe that's not that far because you need some um, investment from a cash standpoint. And then people will typically turn to friends and family, uh, which I recommend, you know, because those are the people that are most likely to back you. Uh, and you want to then take your idea with some proof of concept, with friends and family funding, get it as far as possible as you can, and then maybe extend that. There's different ways to do it to sort of, uh, I guess, acquaintances or angel investors that are individuals. So not necessarily friends and family, but not VCs either. And with all, with all that funding, get it as far as you possibly can. And the VCs, you really want to bring them in uh, when you have some form of traction uh, so that they can really scale the company and help grow the company with you. You know, they, they can put in punitive terms and, you know, and, and I, I explain the reasons why. And as an entrepreneur, your best defense is performance. And as long as you're performing, the VCs will be happy. But the second you stop performing, then they can go and take, you know, implement those measures. So not sure I answered the question directly, but hopefully that gives your listeners here a good idea of, you know, the formula to look for. Yeah, no, I think that's great, Brian. And thank you for that. Because, you know, what you sort of outlined there, which was really great, was kind of like a step process, right? Like right. it's in the beginning, it's all it's all you. It's everything that you got going on. You're putting all your time and energy, you're growing something. And then maybe at some point, uh, friends and family might come into the picture and that might be a little scary because, you know, mixing, mixing all of that with business can be sometimes a little bit disturbing. Uh, and, and then there's an angel investor, which is going to be somebody who has a belief and thinks I've got a great opportunity. They're going to put some of their own uh, money into that. And then you step into venture capitalists, the VC, and that might, you know, so would you say that that uh, the VC would be sort of the latter stage and from there, they're, they're either going to, you know, likely going to take you public or look for some bigger kind of exit where uh, the company gets bought out by another company or something. Well, I guess there's different types of VCs. If we're talking specifically about VCs, there's those that will come in at the seed stage, uh, you know, let's say pre-revenue or early revenue. And then there's sort of series A and beyond where you're basically generating revenue and they're coming in to help scale the business from there and sort of growth equity. Uh, and then, of course, there's other there's other sources, private equity, family offices, things like this that people are turned to. And I think increasingly you'll see startups that might turn to those avenues as opposed to uh, to VCs. So it is very much a formula. And, you know, there is no uh, there. Generally, there might be some boxes in terms of sequence and timing, but there's always flexibility. And, and um, I think probably the most important thing, whether it's angels or VCs or any of these sources, if possible, try and get involved with investors that share the same values as you and that you would enjoy working with. And you know, life is just too short to be involved with people that it's gonna be too much friction and you know, you don't see eye to eye. And, and, and in some ways, getting those types of investors is a blessing. You know, you can't really necessarily choose it. Uh, if it happens, it happens. And you know, I've been very fortunate in my last company, which we can talk about as well as my current company, that the people that I've involved myself with uh, have all been of the same similar values and contributing to the positive growth of, of both me as an individual and the company as well. Hey, it's Thomas here. Thanks so much for listening to the Bloom Living Podcast. We'll be right back with our guest after a word from our sponsors. 
Do you feel uneasy visiting a bank? Do you struggle to sit through a meeting with your financial advisor and leave having not fully understood what they were talking about? Are you blindly trusting that somebody else understands this better than you? Call Thomas the Shooter and the team at Bloom Strategies to create your financial future. Together, you will break down the game of money so that you win. Learn how to take control of your finances and make decisions based on your core values that put you in the driver's seat of your financial life. No more thinking that you don't get it. No more financial statements left unopened and no more feeling like you are stuck in a world of scarcity. Join the conversation on Facebook at Bloom Strategies or go to bloomstrategies.com today. That's B-L-O-O-M strategies.com. Hey, welcome back to the show. You're listening to the Bloom Living Podcast and now back to today's guest. One of my principles, uh, you know, I've been working with, uh, with individual investors, business owners, and families for, for 20 years in my business. And uh, for me, values alignment, aligning your money with your values to me is a critical piece in really building sustainable long-term wealth. And so, you, you know, just hearing you say how important values are is, uh, is music to my ears. I want to step now a little bit into uh, your current business, and I believe that's AdPhone. And uh, you work with Cricket Wireless, and if I have this correct, they have about 10 million uh, wireless users. Are they still an arm of AT&T? That's, yes. that's the research. Yeah, that's okay. So how did AdPhone come about? Like, what was it that had you go, hey, I've got this great idea, boom, and I can make this into something that a wireless carrier is going to want to carry? Well, I guess before I answer that, let's take it back even a few more steps in, in history to kind of tell you how I even got into the wireless domain or space to begin with. And I think your viewers will probably find this you know, story interesting. And, I, and, and also what one of the takeaways is you don't necessarily find your path in life. It finds you. Right? Mm. Ah, great. And it, it finds you. You know, it's like you think you're going to go in one direction and then boom, something else happens. So. I, I went to the University of Central Florida in Orlando, and so I'm probably about, this is back in 96, uh, 18, 19 years old, and one thing UCF is known for, it's one of the largest universities, if not the largest uh, in the country, and they, they built a AT&T wireless at the time, had built a call center right next to the campus, adjacent to the campus. And I actually had no intention of working while going to university, but uh, my roommate at the time told me about, you know, that they're hiring call center employees and they paid pretty well. And is it something I wanted to do? And what the heck? So I went and uh, applied for this job and I ended up getting it. And I started out at the, the lowest possible level as a, as a part-time call center advisor working for AT&T Wireless. So this is my like entry into the wireless space, if you will. Now, I, going back to the beginning, I was never one of these people that kind of, you know, was just happy with the status quo and always looking for ways to disrupt things. In, in the department that I was in, we were measured on call handle times, which basically translated into money. So the longer the call handle time was, the more, you know, customer service issues they had and the more capacity issues they had. So they had to hire more and more people because you can't have people waiting too long on, on, online. Uh, we had these books in our department where in that book, when a customer called up, you would basically have your rate plan information and promotions and pricing and credit. So it was basically a guide of all the information in the book. And, and we would use that while we're on the call. And, and if you think where the internet was back in 96, 97, back in the early days, 
I, I had this crazy idea that if we could take all this information in this book and put it online into a clickable format, then we could basically reduce call handle times. Now, I've never built a website before in my life. Okay, you gotta, gotta keep this in mind, right? And uh, it was just an idea. And I'm one of like 40, 50 people in this department. And in the whole building, there's probably four or 500 uh, people that are working there. So I, I had a lead that I reported to, a supervisor, a manager, and the director of the whole building who I'd heard her name before. And I just went up and I knocked on the director's door of the whole building and I said, my name is Brian Boroff. I work in the National Activation Center and I've got an idea how we can improve call handle times. She said, sit down and tell me your idea. I said, well, it's really simple. You've got this book, you click around, you put it on the you know, internet instead, we're gonna be a lot more efficient. And she kind of stood up uh, as if ending the meeting and said, it's a great idea, but we don't have the capacity right now to build websites. And I said, that's okay, I know how to do it, which, which I clearly <laughs> didn't know. <laughs> so, so she says to me, great, you've got two weeks to show me an example of your work. So what do I do? This is no joke. So for two weeks, I don't go to class. I lock myself up, I'm three and a half inch floppy diskettes, and sure enough, uh, I was able to build a little prototype, and I brought it back to her, and I said, here you go, test it out. So she tested, it worked, she said, great. You're now the web editor of the department, you're off the phones, this is my assistant, Jesse, whatever you need, she's gonna get you, and you've got four months to take this book and train the entire department and get it online, we'll get rid of books. I did it in three months, I was so motivated by this whole thing that you know, school became secondary, and I just had to like build this thing. Anyway, we roll it out, and we get rid of all the books. And at this point, there's like 100, 120 people in the department. And uh, the call handle times come in. They drop by like 20, 22%. I get recognized as this IT whiz kid. And maybe this is one takeaway from the story is that you don't necessarily have to do all the work yourself. You just kind of have to have the idea. If you think about Microsoft front page back then, that was just like using Microsoft Word and hitting a publish button. But I had the idea, and then I was able to translate that into something that actually worked. I didn't really code it myself. So I won this thing called Circle of Excellence, where I ended up going, traveling to the Virgin Islands with all the executives of AT&T. And uh, on the bottom of each web page, I put my name on there, Webmaster, with a link. One day I get a phone call from headquarters. Headquarters was out in Seattle, Washington. And it's from the chief marketing officer's office. And they said, Brian Boroff. And I said, yes. They said, uh, we've got a very high profile project. We want to fly you out for an interview and tell you all about it. What they didn't know is that I'm 18 or 19 years old because they couldn't see me. <laughs> so this was like my first business trip. My mom's all worried, you know, I'm flying out to Seattle. It couldn't be any further from Florida. And the guy that's supposed to interview me ends up leaving the company. And so who interviews me? And this is no joke. The chief marketing officer of all of AT&T at that time ends up interviewing me for this role. And at, at first she thought it was a joke, but it wasn't. I came all that way and she said, okay, well, here's the issue. We're hemorrhaging customers in our channels, you know, in our retail stores and our call centers. Uh, and we think if we can track all the competitive pricing and get it into a database, that we can empower these customer facing employees to make better decisions and improve results. And we're basically looking for somebody or some company that can do this whole thing for us. And they were looking at no joke, like IDC and Yankee Group and Accenture and these big firms. They were looking at people internally and here I am, this like part-time, you know, like, like call center young guy. I come back to Florida. And a couple of weeks later, I get a call and they said, okay, we're going to give you the job. You've now got to build this thing and deploy it across the entire company. And you can do it while going to university. And I remember, and I knew I wanted to get a marketing degree. And now I'm reporting to the chief marketing officer of AT&T. And I'm like, wow, this is an amazing experience. And I would literally get my syllabus each semester and set up appointments with each professor that I had. 
and say, look, here's the deal. <laughs> I'm more, I, you know, I, I know I'm supposed to be in class all these days, but I'm actually reporting directly to the chief marketing officer. And if you can give me a little leeway, it would be great. Most of them did. They liked what was going on. And I ended up building the system, rolling it out to 14,000 employees, traveling 60,000 miles a year all over the country. At the time, those were the good old days. I had an Amex gold card, and I was not even old enough to drink, you know, and, and raised a million dollars from the board. Anyway, I'm giving you the long version, but I think it's interesting for the viewers. I, I then uh, was offered to, I graduated university to, to either to, to move out to Seattle to work full time, or I had this crazy, crazy idea that you know most people if they go to europe they go kind of backpacking and they do it that way and i had a friend in university who was a british guy and i became friends with his father and his father had made millions in it recruiting and i had this crazy idea that you know what if i could start a company based in europe and rather than backpack i'll just move to europe to london to the uk and i'll take everything i learned from this at&t deployment since at&t is a domestic player and launch a company selling it to wireless carriers around the world. And I'd never even, I, I'd only been to Canada, Mexico, and maybe a, a few countries. So I pitched him on this uh, idea, and he did a few months of research, and he's like, all right, let's do it. I left AT&T, and I basically was traveling back and forth between Florida and, and London for about four or five months. In June 2003, at the age of 22, 23 years old, I got a one-way ticket, and I moved to London, and I, and I basically, as an expat, launched this company. And my goal is to take this software, customer acquisition or retention, and sell it to wireless carriers. And I mean, first of all, it was a blast. You know, being an entrepreneur, having a startup experience, no matter what, is just, it's amazing. It's a blast. But being an expat in a foreign country and doing it and raising capital made it all that much more interesting and, and, and fun. Uh, you know, the highlights while I was in London, within a couple of years, we... we we built a platform. We got Vodafone as our first client. It was the biggest carrier, I think, in the world at the time. Wow. We then started working with T-Mobile and Orange. And I raised venture capital. I grew the company to profitability within a few years. We had 50 employees. Um, and we raised several million in venture capital. And it was all from British you know, investors. And, uh, well, we haven't talked about the, my personal you know, life. But I met my wife uh, in London. And I decided that uh, when I met my wife there, we got married that, uh, you know, my parents weren't well in Florida, or my dad wasn't well at the time. And, you know, he, and she actually had her parents that were moving to Miami. And it was either, we had to make a decision. Do we want to stay and raise kids and a family in the UK and London? Or do we want to take the tough decision to move, uh, you know, to the States because of our values? We go back to values and family. So I worked with my board of directors and we found a successor. Um, took a while to run the company. Going back to your original question, this was a roundabout way to get to your original No, question. it's beautiful. And I, 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 just want to, <laughs> I just want to pause for a moment because you touched on some really, some really critical things there that I, that I absolutely love. So one of them is, you know, I have, I have these five money principles. Yeah. And number five, and they're not in any particular order, but just usually the way I lay them out. My number five is you are your most valuable asset. Right. And I think what you just illustrated was just the importance of you stepping in and deciding I'm going to take on something. I, and I love that you, you know, I'll build the website. I do website building. You have no idea what you're doing. So, you know, I don't recommend that always in every situation, but I certainly recommend that, that, 
you know, I've had those moments where it's been like, hey, can you do this? And it's like, I know I probably could. I'm not sure I've done it before, but yes, I can, right? You just yeah. step yeah. into it and have faith and trust in yourself. So that's beautiful. And I love that when you bought a one-way ticket, so you burned the boat, right? There's no, yeah. <laughs> there's no going back. I don't have a set date to come back. I'm just going to go there and launch and, yeah. and do this. And so I, you know, hats off to you, Brian, for just being courageous. You know, for a lot of people going out and asking for assistance or asking for somebody to support you is a difficult thing. So I'm curious, how, you know, did you have that or are you just going to get me in the door and I'm happy having that conversation? Um, so probably two takeaways, two takeaways there. One is never burn your bridges. The other one, and I know it's challenging and, and, and it's not just for entrepreneurship, it's maybe for sales, but in business, everything is sales. But you know, typically you want to be dealing with, you know, the ultimate decision maker and, and, and in large organizations, it's not just about the ultimate decision maker. The kind of product that I'm describing to you has to be sold in at a strategic level in the organization. It doesn't have to be the CEO. CEO is great, right? But, and, you know, C-level executives. So going back to your question, if you're doing B2B enterprise selling for those that that's the, the business idea that they have, try and try and see if you can find a way in you know, to, to exact into the executive level to, to pitch your idea and at, at a more strategic level. A big thanks to Brian Boroff for joining me today on the Bloom Living podcast. Unfortunately, we had our very first ever large technical malfunction in which uh, parts of the show just didn't end up in the recording bits and uh, definitely the ending got dropped. And I apologize for that. I've reached out to Brian and his team and to let him know that um, we had this glitch and it's our intention at some point down the road to invite Brian back onto the show and, and just finish off some of the discussion we were having as well as to just get an update on AdPhone and AdPhone is, is an area that we didn't get to really dive into um, on this recording because it was lost is his new uh, business venture. And uh, he's positioned himself very well in the marketplace with AdPhone. Uh, there's some information on AdPhone in the show notes. And, uh, and I thought what was interesting about that conversation was the idea of stress testing an idea. We talked a little bit about the importance of stress testing your ideas and, and seeing if it's viable and making sure you have a product that you can go to market with, uh, which is definitely what they've uh, done with, with AdPhone. And of course, his you know, his long-term expertise, like he started off at the top of the show, was that this, this found him. And certainly in the wireless space, the years that he'd already put in there, was he was able to find something that he could bring to the market that would uh, be a viable business opportunity. And so that's really what AdPhone is, is it's his, you know, realizing, hey, I've got a zone of genius here in the wireless space. And here's, a, here's something that I see that would benefit both sides of the equation, that being the, the user and the operators of, of the uh, networks. And so he's built a, a program, AdPhone, and he's brought that to the networks. Uh, and, you know, it sounds like on every level that is becoming quite successful for him. So that's fantastic. Uh, the idea of not burning your bridges. Uh, so the very first person that was responsible for him, you know, really getting a, a solid footing into AT&T, that person is who he ended up reaching out to when he had AdPhone to go and they have been working together at bringing AdPhone to the carrier. So, you know, his his commentary on on never burn your bridges. In other words, when you leave an organization, when you leave something behind, when you're moving on, 
to to make a nice, clean, beautiful break and not not create a whole bunch of chaos on your way out the door. Because down the road, you just never know who might serve when you're out to serve more people on a higher level. There's there's going to be people that are in that come from your past that can truly support you in getting that done. And so that that was a great lesson. And and along with that lesson came the leverage who you know. So again, who do you know? And this person came to mind, and voila, it's enabled him to get in the door of some uh, some boardrooms and have him you know, pitch, add phone to these people. So huge lesson on that to never burn your bridges, to leverage who you know, and, uh, and then, you know, going to the decision makers inside of a business where whenever you can, you want to be able to pitch to the very people that are going to make the decision. And I know for me, for example, in the retail space, it's usually one-on-one. It's with, you know, the family or the entrepreneur. And, and I'm, I'm speaking directly to them. In a, in a big corporate setting of business to business, of B2B, you need to find your way through the minutia of the entire admin, admin staff and get to the people that actually make the decisions. And so, you know, that's a huge takeaway in terms of working in the B2B space of getting into the C-suite, the ones that can actually either make the decision or put you directly in front of the parties that will make the decision. So Brian, it was really great to have you on the show. I apologize that we had this, uh, this malfunction with the recording and I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. It was great uh, insight that you gave us a great story on just committing yourself to, uh, you know, taking on some risk, taking on some chances and believing in yourself. And so for that, I truly thank you. A huge thanks to today's guest and to you for being a part of the show. Now, if any of the ideas or stories did strike a chord with you, then I'd be honored if you would just take a quick moment to do a couple of things. One, if something in particular did resonate with you and you feel like it would make a difference in the lives of others, then please go ahead and share this through your social media channels. We'd like that very much. And two, if you are feeling compelled to join in on our ever-growing Bloom Living conversation, then hit the subscribe button and we'll show up every time there is a new episode available. You know, it's not only my goal, but it's the goal of our entire Bloom Living team and community to be the very change that we want to see in the world. All ideas begin with a conversation, first with yourself and then with others. So we welcome your voice. And we ask that you send along any comments, thoughts, or questions. This is Thomas DeShooter, Bloom Living. And I don't want to turn your stomach fast. I don't want to get all mired into that sentiment. Don't think I found me a pocket here. Bones on my television. My mailbox of bankers warned me.